This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Brad Watson, and today I have two of my uh, favorite people on the podcast, Chris Gonzalez and Kevin Platt. Kevin is not related to David Platt, and Chris Gonzalez is not related to Luis Gonzalez. Jose Gonzalez. Oh, Luis Gonzalez, yeah. Uh, Chris and Kevin are from Phoenix, Arizona. They both uh, lead a family of churches called Missio Day. And it's really great to have you guys on the podcast. They're kind of experts and have really rooted their church and the disciples that they lead into the story of God. And so we wanted to take this episode to dive into that topic. Uh, So thanks for joining us, Chris and Kevin. For sure. It's good to be with you. Very good. And so uh, maybe introduce yourselves first. We like to let our listeners know who they're listening to. Chris, maybe you can go first. What does... uh, life look like for you and what does making disciples and what are you excited about these days? Moved here to Tempe, Arizona, uh, just about 20 years ago to go to Arizona state university, became a Christian in college. And then, uh, about 10 years ago, Kevin and I planted Missio day communities here in Tempe. So now, uh, I do that part-time leading our Tempe congregation and then part-time leading, uh, helping lead the missional training center, which is, a uh, a theological education or seminary, cohort-based seminary program that we started uh, here uh, with a guy named Mike Goheen and several churches here in Phoenix. That's awesome. And Mike Goheen is the actual story expert. Yes. So he wrote a drama of scripture, if you guys are familiar with that, and then a, a shorter, kind of more accessible version called uh, True Story of the Whole World, him and Craig Bartholomew. Nice. And you're in his house, so... We are. We use it, especially during the summer. He lives in Vancouver. And so during the summer, we use his house as an office. So we're in Mike's house right now. That's where we're recording from. That's great. And Kevin, how about you? What is making disciples look like for you? What are you excited about these days? Yeah, we uh, just started planting a new church, Missio Mesa, in uh, the second week of Easter. So celebrated together with Tempe Easter Sunday, and then we're sent out as uh yeah, disputed as one of the fruits of the new creation coming was planting new churches. So we're about four or five months into that work of seeing uh, missional communities planted here in Mesa, Arizona, which is a border city right next to Tempe, where we started 10 years ago. So right now it looks like a lot of engaging and loving and serving our neighbors and finding opportunities to tell this story to people who haven't yet been exposed to it. Nice. So Kevin and Chris, uh, we wanted to talk about the story of God. Uh, it's a it's a resource that gets shared a lot. There's about 30 versions on the internet that people download and use all over the world. Uh, but the basic the tool is a narrative telling of the whole drama of Scripture. However, it's to me at least it's so much more than just uh, a tool or like a, a course that people can take. Uh, and so maybe first. Maybe you guys could speak to just what actually is the story of God. What are the what are the literal movements of the the drama of Scripture? Yeah, I think you brought up something that I think is really important. So when we talk about story of God, it is a tool, a resource that's been put out there. There's different versions, but even before that, before the tool or the resource, you have to realize 
the, the bigger thing behind that is that the idea that the Bible is a story. And so I think that's something we need to not just take for granted that people just assume that. I think a lot of people see the Bible as a list of rules or like a rule book, as some moralistic fables or as some inspirational sayings like coffee mug verses. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's primarily how most Christians, I think, even in our culture today, would see the Bible as one of those one of those things or something else like that. But not seeing it as, hey, the Bible from cover to cover uh, in its totality, it tells one grand story and not just hmm. one, not just a story. Like if you go right now, I'm, I'm reading through Lord of the Rings or if you go to the movies and you watch Star Wars or something, it's like you go into that story and you suspend reality for a little bit and then come back out of it and come back into reality, reality. It's like, no, the Bible is purporting to tell the true story of the whole world. This is the story of what's happening in history and what God is doing. Hmm. We, the, the way we talk about it a lot in, uh, in our church is to see it, the structure of like a six act play. Uh, and so that, that is coming from Goheen and Bartholomew's drama of scripture in it. They break down the Bible into like these six movements, these six acts. And so they are, uh, the first one, act one is creation. So God comes down, so to speak, and creates everything good, right, and beautiful. And that's Genesis one and two in your Bible. And then the second act is rebellion. Well, we used to call it the fall, but Chris Wright, he says, which I can't <laughs> accent, but he says in his Irish accent, but he says, uh, people often call it the fall, but nobody fell anywhere. Mm-hmm. They rebelled against living God, their Lord. Yeah, so we call it the rebellion. And the other thing that's key that we also picked up from Chris Wright early on was uh, from his book, Mission of God, is that the, the, the rebellion, that act of the story, it's not just Genesis 3. So it is Genesis 3, but it goes on. It's Genesis mm-hmm. 11. And that really sets the, the narrative arc up of, uh, of the biblical story that in Genesis 1 and 2, you have creation, everything good, right, and beautiful. But it all gets messed up in Genesis 3 through 11 and goes from bad to worse until everybody is acting out evilly all the time. And you have the Tower of Babel. And then the third act is what we call promise. And that in, it takes all of from Abraham and all the history of Israel, the whole Old Testament. So from Genesis 12 through Malachi, you have the promise that God makes a promise that even though his world is broken, is fallen, is messed up, he is going to fix it through a people. And so he's going to call one people, choose one people, and that he's going to, to fix it through that, the promise um, but then the problem is that they fail and they rebel and don't live out their calling, their vocation. Hmm. And so finally, it gets whittled down to just one true faithful Israelite. His name's Jesus. And so the fourth act is redemption. So creation, rebellion, hmm. promise, redemption. And uh, that is everything you read in the Gospels. So the life, uh, the death, the resurrection of Jesus and his kingdom ministry. And then the fifth act of the biblical narrative is the church. And that's where Jesus then sends his disciples out into the world to bear witness of the good news of the kingdom, that he really is the resurrected Lord and that he is one day going to come back again. And so the final act is act six, restoration or new creation, however you want to call it. And we see that in Revelation 21 and 22. And so that's the end of the story that Jesus returns and restores and judges and sorts everything's out everything out. That's awesome. Yeah, I love just hearing the story uh, over and over again uh, because it is, as you said, it's the true story that we're all living under, whether we believe it or acknowledge it or not. That is the true story of the world, and it's not, as you were also saying, this story that we engage in and then come out of, which I think is how people kind of read the Bible. 
uh, and engage even God. Like this is the God space. And then I leave the worship services or Bible study or quiet times is where God exists and where he's true. And then I leave into this world where it's, where it's different and kind of have that duality. But yeah, just hearing that story and being brought into that frame of mind uh, really is powerful. Uh, Kevin, maybe in your, in your perspective, where do you find that people really focus like the church or as we make disciples, what part of the story do we normally put ourselves in? Uh, if that makes sense, like, like where does the, where do you see like different ways that people like really gravitate towards? Well, the whole story of God is really about rebellion or I don't know, some other form. No, that's a really good question. Cause that's actually one of the diagnostics that we use to see if people are understanding what we're saying when we're talking about the Bible as a story is to say where that's a question we'll ask, where do you see yourself in the story? And if somebody says right at that X, so we use six symbols that are um, pretty universal, just a down arrow and X and then a forward arrow, a cross for the redemption, another forward arrow for the church and a down arrow uh, for final restoration, because that was just something that allowed people to have just some handles for the story. We'll often ask, where do you find yourself in there? And if they put themselves under the X as if they were really experiencing brokenness in their life, and that's a reality that we do experience brokenness because of the rebellion. Mm-hmm. But if they put themselves there, it helps me to see that they're seeing the story as a set of uh, just maybe timeless principles or ideas rather mm-hmm. than an actual timeline, a narrative of history, which is what the Bible claims to be. And so uh, wherever people put themselves in that story, it's really our job um, as we are processing with our people and equipping them to be faithful to the story to say, uh, we're actually in that fifth act of the story, the church, that mm-hmm. we're always after the cross. Uh, the spirit has been sent. There is the resurrection that has already happened that's given the deposit for the final restoration. Like That is where we're at in the timeline. Mm-hmm. And I found that that's just so important to remind people of because all of this story has already happened and we live out the implications of the story so far with a hopeful expectation that one day it will finally and fully be accomplished uh, in the final. Mm-hmm. So that's what we try to remind people of so that they can remember all that God has already done, all that he's already revealed about himself, all that he's already made true about us, which really does equip us to live our role in the story in a more faithful way. I think another way to answer your question, it becomes very individualistic. It becomes a very individualized story. So I think a lot of mm. people, if you think about it, like a lot of people's gospel is it start, it doesn't start at creation. It starts at a very individualistic understanding of like the rebellion. So it's like, I sin. Yeah. I need to be saved. I can't save myself. And so Jesus died on the cross for my sin. So I can go to heaven. Right. What you lose in that, you end up truncating the gospel and the story of God. Mm-hmm. because It's very individualized. But then you start and I messed up. And do, if you mm-hmm. notice, you only get to Jesus died on the cross for my sins. You actually don't even need the resurrection for that gospel. And, it, and mm-hmm. when people explain the gospel, we find they leave the resurrection off because they don't have a need for it. But if you start at creation, God created something good, right and beautiful. And it goes from there and it, and it encompasses not just the goal is not just to get me saved to go to heaven, but the goal is the restoration of God's good creation and his purposes for it. If you start with that, you end up in a different place with what the good news is, what the actual gospel is. Yeah, I think that's that's so profound. And I even I had that kind of thought the last time I saw you guys training on this, as you kind of pointed to where a lot of people kind of focus on the X or the cross. And I began realizing, yeah, that is basically the story that we've told 
through a lot of our evangelism methods over the past, I don't know, 20, 30 years, 40 years, which, yeah, leaves out creation and just kind of focuses on people's sin problem and then the cross, which I think kind of points towards, if that's the story we're telling, it kind of lends itself to a church that is materialistic and individualistic as well. Yeah. Um, where it's like, well, there is no church movement. You kind of skip over that piece. You also skip over the promise piece where God is working with his family, with his people. And you also, it, the story basically is like, well, whatever you have is what you created. We don't have a God who's a creator. We just have a God who wants to bridge the gap or make a bridge for us to have paradise again. We found something that it, it helps what people get really excited about when you start to see the Bible as a story and see it in these six acts is specifically, you just mentioned it, Brad, but that third act of the promise of the Israel. So if you take your Bible and pinch the, the pages that are between Genesis 12 and the end of Malachi, the beginning of Matthew, like that's like two thirds of the Bible. <laughs> right. And for most well, it's like, what? what is the point of that? It's just to show us that we can't do it. Right. You have no theological need for two thirds to three quarters of your Bible. Well, it's like, right. that's problematic. But when you start to see it as a story and see this, see it unfolding, it brings all new to all the different, not just the narrative parts of the Old Testament, but the wisdom literature and the Psalms and the prophets. It brings a whole new way of, of looking at these. I think it has a huge missional, kind of as you read the Bible missionally as well, huge implications there. Hmm. Uh, I think a lot of times you can listen to this podcast like, oh, well, like Chris and Kevin must have been just born with this knowledge that the story, that the Bible is a story and that's how we should do it. <laughs> when really you've like been on this process, how has like following Jesus and make disciples changed for you guys as you've encountered the Bible as the story of God, not just a list of rules or, or tips? Yeah, I'll give you two ways and then Chris can chime in on his. Uh, the first one is it, completely shifted the way I view evangelism, uh, the way I view declaring the good news to other people. Uh, I used to really enjoy, and uh, even in college, I right, took the apologetics class or in seminary and trying to figure out the right arguments to counter other arguments. And that information is helpful at times. But I found myself taking the posture much more of a lawyer who needed to make an argument to have the best possible argument to outsmart the other lawyer hmm. across room and realize that that's not the role of evangelism as we see it in scripture. It's much more as a reporter giving account of the good news that's been accomplished. So for me personally, it's shifted entirely the way that I view um, evangelism to being able to announce good news to others that, Hey, here's the whole story. And here's good news. This is a better story than what you believe. And that's been completely life-changing. It takes away uh, so much of the pressure to convince people of this thing being true to simply say, I know it's true. The death resurrection of Jesus is true and the world has changed. Now you're invited into that. And that story implicates people, but I don't have to convince them of that. It hmm. allows the, the weight of that to go back to the Holy spirit where it was always meant to be. So that's like looking out in that way. But then even personally, it's given me much better uh, understanding of how like my life fits in and the events in my life fit into what God's doing in history. Um, because I realized that God has been doing something throughout time and, and seeing the unpacking of his faithfulness through from creation all the way through to right now is something that directly applies to me. So I could think like even as my father passed away, uh, it was one of the things that really, really shaped me was this was the point where we were just getting into seeing the Bible as a story hmm. was when he passed away. And it allowed me to have, not to 
philosophically punt out or theologically punt and not have to feel any of the pain. But it gave me a place to see it uh, within the story that this is an effect of sin in the world, that cancer doesn't Mm. exist and those things, but that there is an ultimate hope of redemption one day that extends like to my father, to creation and Mm. loving God, seeing all that through. And for me, it really gave me rooted a rootedness personally, uh, just to even be able to shepherd my own heart and be able to reflect as other people spoke into me, uh, gave us language mm. to use that was really helpful. Yeah, that's awesome. How about you, Chris? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I was actually going to say the exact same two things that Kevin said. <laughs> that's perfect. But let me just say the same thing, but in a different way. One, with evangelism, I did not do evangelism. I had two really bad, awkward, when I, after I became a Christian in college, I had two really awkward. Uh, conversations with people really close to me of like, so you think I'm going to hell? Yeah, I don't believe that. <laughs> okay, can we talk about something else now? Yep. And that was like it. And then I went through seminary. I became a pastor. I'd share the gospel like in sermons when I'm preaching, but I never shared the gospel in like in my real life. And uh, all the way through seminary and becoming a pastor and getting married and all that. And it is completely like completely changed the way I think about sharing the gospel because it's not just like, I got to share some bad news that you're going to go to hell. Jesus can mm-hmm. kind of existentially make you feel better or something like that. But it's like, Hey, this is the story that I think is the true story of the world. Like right. and you can have some other story, like what's your, what's your story, but to be able to, to speak and to put the story up for other people, even just like yes, yesterday at the gym, I dropped the story on this guy uh, as we were talking. And so um, I just, I, it's crazy to think like I went years without ever sharing the gospel. And now I find myself like sharing it all the time, like very often and not seeing myself as like a very extroverted evangelist. And that, this is also just a plug. Kevin mentioned those symbols, like these six symbols. I'm telling you, it is crazy helpful. What I don't care mm-hmm. if you cars or make your own or whatever, but it is <laughs> unbelievably helpful for people to like, to be able to just like draw these, you know, draw these six symbols out and like, go through the, the mm-hmm. biblical story, it becomes super reproducible. And like, I don't know, it hits something different in your mind You're able, when you see it written out like that. And so uh, the other the other thing, uh, my mom passed away right as we were kind of reading drama scripture and we're getting all this stuff. And my mm-hmm. mom died of cancer as well. And for mm-hmm. me, the phrase that, that the phrase that rang in my mind as I was getting the eschatology that comes as you see the Bible as a story, I'll just say that was the phrase was, cancer and Satan won this battle, but I know that Jesus will win the war. Hmm. And not just like as a trite little way of saying it, but it's like, no, I know where we are in redemptive history. And I know that Jesus, or Satan won this battle and cancer won and my mom's dead. She really is hmm. dead. And I really do need to mourn that and grieve that. But I know that one day, just as what I love what N.T. writes says, just as uh, God raised Jesus from the be- dead, so he will do with all of his, all of God's people and all of creation. So he hmm. will be that resurrection as well and know that one day Jesus will return and my mom will return with him. And so that's mm-hmm. really, that's really changed. And then the other, just super practical is like, it unbelievably changes the way that I parent my kids and the way that we would mm-hmm. do children's ministry. Mm-hmm. So it even mm-hmm. gives like, how do we do kids ministry? How do we parent our kids? The whole goal is like, I want them to, to see themselves living in the story and say, how do I faithfully play my role? So like that my kids would grow up now that my daughter's in high school. What does it look like as I go into high school 
to faithfully play my role in God's story and to realize that, hey, there are other people with different religious worldviews and atheistic worldviews, which is still a religious worldview and a Western worldview, which is still a religious worldview. Like I have all these other different stories that they're hearing. Right. So realizing as, as, as our kids grow up, it reframes and reshapes how we think about it. We're not just trying to download information to them or make them feel really guilty or get them to pray a prayer. We're trying to say, mm-hmm. help them to understand the story and faithfully play the role in that story. Yeah. And so maybe even piggybacking off that, how do you help people, you know, play their role in this story? That can sound kind of big and broad, like, where's my script for what to do in the story? So how do you help people find out, even in that forward, the, the mission of the section of the story, the, the outward working of the church uh, after the resurrection of Jesus? How do you help people discover their role and their part to play in that moment of the story? Yeah, the fun part is, as you look at your New Testament, even what you were just saying, all of the letters written after the resurrection, that was the exact question they were answering, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we live in God's, because if this is what the Bible actually is, then it means that that's as it was unfolding, is how do we live as these new creation people in the midst of this old creation that still seems to be lingering? Um, and how are mm-hmm. we equipped to do that? And I think the first thing that you always see Paul doing is reminding them of what's true and reminding them of the reality that these events have indeed taken place. And so for us, I mean, this makes it through all of our sermons. It makes it through our kids' curriculum. It shapes the way we talk in our missional communities. We'll regularly rehearse the story. And that's the first thing I'd say, I guess, regularly rehearse the story, um, going through these six acts, being able to tell the story in a 30-second shot or a three minute shot or taking a 30 minute time to just teach it. Like we both did yesterday for our congregations um, that just hmm. being able to tell and retell the story so that it is known is really, really important in that process. Hmm. Yeah. On that we, we're just, we're doing like a, a basics, Missio basics kind of series here in August. And so the first sermon uh, for the series is the true story. And just to say, this is the foundation of everything. And so hmm. we, you know, I told the story, I put the six symbols up on the board and then I got people in groups of three and had them give them 90 seconds to tell the story to each other. And then after you tell the story, one, I tell people like, listen, that person that just told you the biblical story in 90 seconds, like it might seem like just kind of like a fun thing or an anxious thing. Like they just told you the best news. That's the best story you're ever going to hear. Like Mm. they just to you tell them what what as they said that what did the spirit hit you with like what did they what phrase did they turn what theme did they pull through what was it that like that hit you and so trying to train people to be able to tell the story i think a lot of times like evangelism doesn't happen because we don't even know how to tell the story to each other right yeah so encouraging people to be telling the story in different ways within their missional communities and wherever they are i love that I've seen you guys teach people how to tell the story in that way. And you give them like three minutes and then 90 seconds and then four minutes, or you do some sort of like change up like that. And then at the end, people have heard the good news and what's true about God and themselves and the world like three times really quickly, which is really powerful. And and then I basically took what you did and I stole it. And I taught a group of high school students that about two months ago. And I did all sorts of talking with those high school students, but that was a piece that like totally stuck with them and that they even like played out as, you know, 16, 17 year old kids over and over again throughout that week mm. because they, they, for the first time, and they felt really confident as they were doing different things in Los Angeles, felt really confident that they could tell someone the good news if they were 
you know, if they asked about it or if they felt like the urging was coming to do that by the Holy Spirit. Whereas before they felt like, oh, I don't know if I know the right arguments, you know, yeah. for this person. Let me ask let me ask you guys a question. Can I flip the table here, Brad? Is that okay? Absolutely. Like, so that's great. Kevin and Chris, you guys told the story and had people tell the story yesterday because it was a sermon on the biblical story. Like that was the point of it. What happens if, so like Kevin, we're preaching through James and both of our congregations uh, later and in, in, through the fall. So what happens if we get to James, which is not narrative. So it's not a mm-hmm. narrative part of the biblical story and it's not a sermon on the biblical story. So how does, like when you're doing your sermons on James, for example, so Kevin or Brad, if you have thoughts on this as well, how do you preach within the biblical story there? Like, what does that actually look like? Hmm. That's great question. I haven't preached on James and I'm not about to preach on James. Uh, it's been a while. I am going to preach it so I can answer that direct question. Um, the thing is, so James would be wisdom literature. So knowing the genre you're in, that's going to have a point that he's trying to make. And the beauty of the story is that in every act of the story, you can run anything through the entire story and end up with a biblical theology of it. Meaning that whatever I'm preaching on, it has its kernels of truth in creation. And I can trace the thread all the way back to creation. So if say you want to say prayer, right? James is consistently calling people to pray that talking with God was one of the original things in creation. So asking what is the thing that is good, right, or beautiful about this conversation with God? And it's, it was always meant to be there. Now, how did that get fragmented or twisted? Well, at the rebellion, we see that shame drove people away from God and even to hiding so much so that God had to pursue them. And then they needed to uh, speak to him and they found they could freely speak to him. But there was now this complication, this disruption, this breaking in that relationship, which as you look at the promise, it's that it won't always be that way. But we look through our whole testament and we see God consistently making himself known to people and inviting them into relationship with him to be able to speak to him again, to let requests be known. But it had to go through an intermediary at that point, Mm. Uh, which then in the fourth act of the story of redemption, right? We see that Christ was the true and perfect high priest that Jesus himself, uh, because he died on the cross and rose again, he not only modeled what prayer looked like throughout his life, um, which is prayer is absolutely essential to being a faithful part of God's family, but he died making it possible for us to have direct access to the father once again, as the final sacrifice. And then even breathes the spirit on us to remind us that God isn't out there somewhere. He's behind a veil, but then he's given us his own spirit. So when I get to James, the question is then, well, how do we live faithfully then as people who have access to God, communicating with him, making requests known and participating in his work right now through prayer? And it just frames the question a lot differently than how do I pray a lot more or try harder Mm -hmm. to make the five minutes a day to talk to God? When you realize like that is what it looks like to live as God's people in this world is to be people who are interceding with a God who is present, who has brought new creation life already. And we'll finally fully one day we'll be able to enjoy relationship with him face to face again. Like for me, that's how Chris, that's how I would wrap that in just one of those topics Sick. in prayer. Yeah. The whole story. There's my sermon for November 11th. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're good. Yeah. I mean, to not answer the direct question about James, I think in the last six months, we've preached through Proverbs and the book of Hebrews. And I'd say in the book of Hebrews, it's like, it's clearly a story rich book that's, that's trying to tell the people like, this is, this is how this, everything that 
happened before Jesus is blooming right now and it's blooming within you. And so within that series, we continually like would have to tell the story over and over again. And then with the book of Proverbs, we separated it into themes because you can't do it very linearly uh, in the book of Proverbs. And so to talk about parenting or marriage or family or work was a big one or rest. We like I told this story every time in that sermon series, but it would be traced through those themes. So what was work like in creation? How is work broken in rebellion? How did people try to work after that in the, the season of promise? How does Jesus fulfill that? Um, what does restoration look like with work? The, the proverb series was really fun for me because I think it helped people in our church realize how they could tell the story through all the circumstances of their life, even through anxiety or frustration or loneliness, they would, they were able to see like how that gets dissected out. Um, Even yeah, sexuality, the whole thing. That's one of the things I think is really important too, is realizing that. So like if all of scripture really does tell this unfolding story, then all of it is meant to equip God's people to be faithful for their work. Mm. And so that's not just the stuff written after Jesus or with Jesus, but before him as well. Right. And so something we have our kids do and as adults, we do it is to say, Hey, where is this story in the bigger story? Mm-hmm. Um, just we're able to identify where actually in the text of scripture, they're reading this because Ecclesiastes is going to come to a different conclusion. Um, yeah. James does because Jesus is in the middle. Right. And so as you're contemplating things, it just is really helpful for people to realize that we are again in an unfolding story and we can look beyond just that old Testament text. But, that text itself is also meant to allow us to be more faithful in our vocation of uh, being witnesses for the gospel. Yeah, it totally changes it from just being, oh, we should work hard because Jesus is watching or something like that, which is what I heard a lot growing yeah. up in like Christian schools and camps and stuff. It's like, yeah, you should be responsible because God is watching you. But it totally changes it whenever you realize like, no, like God created human beings to be like creators and workers and like put their hand in the ground and form things just like God formed the world. And then it also helps explain why work sucks. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, like we all have all these thorns and thistles because we're motivated by shame and guilt and we're separated from like the true creator uh, himself. And I think it's powerful and it definitely changes how we even counsel one another. Yeah, for sure. Brad, I think even if, if your listeners, I mean, if you want to do something, go like rewind this podcast, like five minutes to back where I asked the question, then Kevin answered it, taking prayer through. Uh, one thing I appreciate about Kevin that I think he does so well is thinks through the lens of those six acts. And so you can, if you listen to it again and you, you can like see him thinking through those six acts as he takes it through. So it becomes a grid that you can think through to, to run something through the biblical story. Yeah, that's awesome. That kind of answers a lot of the questions that I had for us today. The The last sort of lingering one, uh, which we've touched on a little bit, but maybe you guys could give more of a, I don't know, bullet pointed list is how do you equip your people and the disciples that God's given you? Uh, how do you disciple them in this story? How do you equip them in that? Yeah, let's just go back and forth on that. I would say uh, one thing is that we make sure that everybody knows those symbols and can tell the story. So ideally, like a four, three, four, five-year-old would be able to know the symbols and in a very basic way, be able to tell the story. I would hope someone who's a leader 
you know, who's maybe a missional community leader or a deacon or an elder, they're going to be able to tell the story in a more robust way and have more details and, hey, take 10 minutes and can you share the story of God with me? And so I want to make sure from top to bottom, everybody around would be able to know those symbols. Yeah. So we have a, we're speaking a common language as well. Yeah. We strongly encourage each of our missional communities as well to start by uh, utilizing one of the tools for going through the story of God, not just as a little mechanism, but because it roots their identity in this story and allows them to see in a fresh way together uh, that this is the work they've been invited into is to participate with God on his ongoing work in the world. And uh, that helps to orient their whole time together and keeps it from just becoming like a self-help group or a social justice group or a Bible study, but really gives them work to do. And I've watched a lot of fruit come out of that as a uh, missional mm-hmm. community together process this. Right. When we planted the church, we started something with several other churches here in our city called Surge, S-U-R-G-E. And it's a, a network of churches, but also a, like a lay leadership training deal that we do that's nine months long. And it goes through four quarters. And the first quarter, uh, we read drama of scripture and and get kind of big picture. What is the story of the Bible? So maybe a majority of people in our congregations, and I think we're going to have a, a bigger surge class going through it this year, uh, have been through surge and and get that kind of foundational theological training. But it's, hey, what's the biblical story? The second quarter, how do we live in that story? The last couple of years, we've used Jeff Vanderstelt's Gospel Fluency book. Uh, the third quarter goes big again and said, okay, in light of that story, if that's a biblical story, what is the church's mission? And we use a book called Mission of God's People by Chris Wright. Mm. The final one, this is huge, goes small again and says, okay, what is your the, the, the work that you do for 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you're nine to five. How does that, what does that have to do with God's kingdom and with the biblical story? So how do you faithfully play your role in your vocational life? in the biblical story. And so all that, this whole surge school for nine months is all trying to help people. How do you faithfully take up your role in the biblical story? Hmm. I love it. No, that's so good. And uh, we'll include links and the, the show notes so that people can find more about surge and also the books that you guys have been referencing. Any other resources that you'd like to, to throw out there? We've mentioned a few. Yeah. I don't know if he's, if we've explicitly said it, but the, the story of God, Kind of, it's 19 stories that we use that a ton within our missional communities and we do SOMA schools and stuff like that. But I found it really helpful to do it uh, over a couple of days. So I love doing it like on a Thursday night, Friday night, get a group of 10 to 20 people, ideally uh, sit in a living room, have a meal together, have a dinner together. We do the whole Old Testament in the, the first night and then the whole New Testament the second night. Mm-hmm. We used to do it over like 10 weeks in missional communities. And for me, I found it way more powerful to do it jam-packed together because it's the same thing we found with Soma School when it's that immersion thing. Like when you mm-hmm. get immersed in something, yeah, it's just that much more powerful. And so your headspace gets in the biblical story for that time. And that's where we tell a story and then do dialogue off that. Yeah, that's awesome. And we actually have videos of you, Chris, telling people how to lead the dialogue on the Saturate website. So now they'll be able to match your face to your voice. <laughs> Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. This has been so good. And every time I interact with you guys about this topic or really almost any topic, I'm always challenged to think more critically about our own church, but also more hopeful and how we're making disciples. And even the reality, too, is I got to do this exercise. I think you two also did about what makes SOMA, the SOMA family of churches, what's essential for each of them to be a SOMA church. 
And I kept coming back to the story of God and the narrative arc of the scriptures as being such a fundamental part of like what we are culturally as a movement of churches. So it's been great to have you guys on the podcast and and talk about that and sort of stoke our listeners' uh, desire for for more of this. So thanks a bunch, guys. Thanks for having us. Can I give one last warning? <laughs> Go for it. No, I, I just watched, and this is I was in Cape Town, South Africa, and uh, teaching through some of this stuff. And one of the things the the guys that were local said, I need you to reinforce this, and I think it goes for us here in the states as well, is that this is not a mechanism or a tool for finally being able to share the gospel, but this is actually the way that God told his story and it describes the world as it is. And so this isn't just another mechanism, but is a way to understand God's word itself. And so mm-hmm. the morning label is don't just figure out, all right, Chris said he does two day things, go do two day things, figure out how to contextualize this message into your local context. And that should be the work of any pastor or local missionary, uh, meaning the everyday person to say, how do I faithfully live out my role in this story? Because I'm implicated by it, not just how do I use this as a tool for some other end. That's it. Right. That's good. That's actually a good warning for almost everything that we talk about, especially this. It is. It's God's chosen way to reveal himself to us. So it's not a. It's not just like a clever tool. It really is revelation. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Chris and Kevin, for joining us today. Uh, you can get all sorts of more information on everything we talked about on our website, saturatetheworld.com. As always, if you've been enjoying the podcast, leave a little review on whatever app you're using to listen to us. That helps people find us and helps people know uh, what it is that we talk about. So if you like us, rate us. If you don't, I guess you could put just one star on things. That's that's also helpful. That's constructive for me. If you made it this far, that's impressive. Uh, yeah, if you listen to this whole thing just to write a bad Yelp review, kudos to you. And we'll be talking again soon, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.